Sometimes on Pastor Paul's Bible Talk, I just like to take the questions I get from people and dig into the Bible and see what the answers are. And one of those that I've done often in my life is to look at the Bible and see how the Bible handles the abortion issue. And if the Bible is as clearly anti-abortion and extreme in its views on the topic as evangelical Christians tend to be. When I was younger, I, I didn't understand why the evangelical belief on abortion didn't inspire me and make me want to get out and yell at people and be angry at pregnant women and their healthcare providers as Christians around me were. It never inspired me to think about being part of the anti-abortion movement. So I went to the Bible and was stunned to find out that not only is the Bible not passionate on the issue of banning abortion? It's strongly agnostic, if not leaning towards the pro-choice side of the issue. So let me share in this Bible talk today what I found as I did so in a feed recently on YouTube and TikTok. Now you're going to hear me interacting with people on those two social media platforms in this podcast and Bible talk. So don't get confused, but it's a really interesting topic that I felt I wanted to share through this week's Bible Talk. Stick around. I think you'll enjoy this Bible Talk. And also, don't forget, go to my website, pastor-paul.com. Sign up for my newsletter there for free. And also, you can help support the work that we do here by subscribing for as little as $5.99 a month to $100 a month. $5.99 a month may not sound like it makes much of a difference, but if we have hundreds of people helping support us, it'll free me up to continue to provide all the content I provide weekly through this podcast, as much as 10 hours a week of free content. And I need your help to continue to be able to do that. Sign up for the newsletter, subscribe, do what you can to be a part of the Pastor Paul support community as we pursue emotional and spiritual well-being together. Love you for being a part of this community and for helping out. Now, why is the Bible not as passionate as some Christians on the subject of abortion? Well, let me tell you why on this edition of Pastor Paul's Bible Talk. Uh, I want to talk more about everything that's going on, particularly as we look at SCOTUS and the potential to overturn Roe v. Wade. And what does that mean uh, we do as, as Christian people? I use the word Christian very loosely because Christian has become a really dirty word now that we have an evangelical church that says you, you must be Republican and anti-abortion extremist um, and then shames and condemns anybody who not as a baby murderer, where do I see in the Bible, what do we do if that doesn't sit well with us? And this was my story as uh, an evangelical church leader and uh, a pastor the question for me was, why am I not violently anti-abortion? Why do, why am I not empowered every day by the abortion video? Why do I care so much more about helping people that are alive than who I believe, uh, you know, is in the womb? And and I really started asking that question, and it led me to um, really search out the Bible. You know, I, I guess. I'm crazy to think like Christians ought to follow the Bible. And so if it's clear that we're supposed to be violently, angrily extremist, anti-abortionist, the Bible ought to be clear 
that that is God's position, right? It just, I, I, you know, maybe I'm crazy, but it just seems to me like that ought to be so self-evident in scripture that that it's like, like it's there's nothing else we see in the Bible but that. And then when you start actually looking into the Bible, you find out that it's quite a different story. So I want to look at, to start us off today, a little bit of, you know, what are, sorry, I'm typing into the computer. That's why I'm looking around. What are some of the passages that Christians point to in in the Bible to say, see, the Bible is, um, you know, anti-abortion. And, and I want to give those of you who are struggling with that biblical position uh, a way to look at it. So let's start with Psalm 139. It says, where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand Will, shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness will cover me, um, blah, blah, blah. So it kind of goes on like you're, God is going to see me anywhere that I am. So Psalm 139, 13 says, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in, your, in my mother's womb. Ah, the Bible is anti-abortion. Psalm 139, 15. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book was written every one of them, the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. So does that passage say God is anti-abortion? So let, let me make two points here. So first off, Psalm 139 and Jeremiah 1 that I'm going to read in a moment are poetry. And you have to be very, very careful not to do the Western thing of finally parsing every word to be able to twist and squeeze a verse to mean what you want it to mean um, when, it's, when it's poetry, um, particularly when it's poetry, because it is teaching a concept, not a linear word-for-word -word thing. But if we want to parse it down like Christians want to do, they say, oh, you knitted me together in mother's womb. That means this is an anti-abortion passage. They totally ignore the fact that it says, my frame was not hidden when I was being woven in the secret place, being made in the secret place. And your eyes saw my unformed substance, unformed substance, not a fetus, unformed substance, and in your book were written every day of my life before there was one. So this is a poetic vision of God's creativity of humanity in the mind, in his mind, written by ancient Bedouin farmers. What they're saying here is God knew of a person's life before he created the earth. The secret place, the, the, when it talks about before the foundations of the earth were laid, it's talking about God knowing every human being before even the earth was created. It's talking about the value of humanity to God even before the creation of the earth. 
And so if you want to parse Psalm 139 down as an anti-abortion passage, then you have to acknowledge that the passage actually more closely resembles the Catholic vision of, of life, which is you can never be in charge of the choice of life. Only God can. Therefore, Catholics don't allow contraceptives. Therefore, Catholics believe it is very important to procreate in marriage. And, and that is a command. So if, if, if you're an anti-abortionist evangelical and you're not adopting babies for one, you're, you're a hypocrite. And two, um, and you're, you're using contraceptives, then you are in violation of Psalm 139. You do not truly believe what Psalm 139 says. Now, I would disagree Psalm 139 says that I disagree even with the Catholic view of this, but I just want to tell you the Catholic view is much more true to Psalm 139 than is the evangelical view. You cannot, if you're evangelical, claim that Jeremiah 139 supports your extremist anti-abortion position because it simply does not. So now let's go look at Jeremiah 1, which is another passage. So what there are no verses in the Bible. Let's make this very clear. There's not a single verse in Protestant Christian Bible that prohibits abortion, period, none. Jesus said nothing about it. Even the very heinous practice of exposure by the Romans, Jesus never once pointed out a baby laid on the side of the road and said, there, that will be the demise of the Roman Empire right there. Never once did the subject ever come into Jesus' mind, which I always find interesting. You know, can you imagine uh, Jesus being ready to be sent to earth by God? And this is the discussion. Okay, okay, Jesus, you're going to earth. And remember, all we care about is abortion and gay marriage. We need to ban abortion and ban gay marriage because we're anti. We're not pro anything. We're anti. We, we know humans are terrible, horrible things. Uh, why we created them, I never know, but they're terrible. We're anti everything. And so when you go to earth, remember, Abortion and gay marriage are the only two things we care about. And I want you, Jesus, to mention those two subjects never, ever, ever. Jesus in the Gospels never mentions abortion, never mentions homosexuality, not once. And no, marriage between one man and one woman is not a ban on homosexuality. You've totally misjudged what that passage means. So Jesus never mentioned it. It's not mentioned in the New Testament. It's not mentioned in thou shalt not kill or thou shalt not murder because nothing in there inherently says life begins at conception, particularly knowing the Jewish belief was life begins at first breath or as some uh, of my, our Jewish friends believe life begins at, at baby viability. So some believe the soul doesn't enter the body until a baby is is seven, eight, nine days old. That's why they would wait for circumcision because the soul had to enter the body before it became a human being beloved by God. So they Jewish folks are almost universally pro-choice. And by the way, evangelicals, you love, 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 love Israel. And they have legalized abortion in Israel and the government pays for it. Um, so yes, the Bible, so let's just be clear. There's not a single verse in the Bible that explicitly says life begins at conception. The Jewish belief, the writers of our Old Testament believe that life either began at first breath or the viability of a living baby. They had no, no concept and no belief that a fetus had a soul in it. So when, so that eliminates Luke four as an anti-abortion passage where it says, 
uh, the baby leapt in Elizabeth's womb. That is a that's that is an anthropomorphization, just like when when my wife was pregnant and I would talk to her stomach and and the fetus would move. That is a natural a biological response, and it was the anthropomorphization of a. Uh, you know, an inanimate object, just as just as in the Bible, a donkey can talk, the trees can clap their hands, the rocks can cry out in worship. We we cannot say that verse explicitly says um, that life begins at conception because the Bible simply doesn't say it. So another passage that Christians will use is Jeremiah one. So let's take a look at Jeremiah one. Sorry, I am going to get to your questions in just a minute. I just thought I would lay this all out first. So Jeremiah 1 says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. So it's very important to notice one word in that passage, before. It, it says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And, uh, I, and I just, I have a TikTok video for this that I have to share with you guys. Uh, so let me get that uh queued up here. Oops, sorry. I hit the wrong thing. It says, before I knew you in the womb. And here is my story about this. You'll be able to hear it on TikTok. You can watch it in my bio. And I will now share it for those of you on YouTube. This is Pastor Paul sharing about Jeremiah 1. Oh, wow. Texas, Texas has passed a terrible law criminalizing pregnant women. Hooray for Texas. The law is godly. The Bible says life begins at conception. Abortion is murder. It says here they're going to pay neighbors to be vigilantes against their pregnant neighbor. Wait, the Bible does not say life begins at conception. Jeremiah 1 says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. You do notice it says, before I formed you. Right, life at conception, knitted in the womb, Psalm 139. It says, before I formed you. Jeremiah 1 and Psalm 139 are beautiful poetry showing how much God loves us even before we were born, even before creation, but they do not explicitly like that conception, knitted in the womb. Listen, this law means Texas women with money will still be able to receive safe reproductive health care, while poor women will have to pursue unsafe abortions or will be forced to have the child because they can't pay the fine. Jeremiah 1, Psalm 139, thou shalt not kill. I'm very aware of the verses Christians use to shame and beat up women. Shame on a regular and beat basis. up women. Jesus yes. sat with women who were outcast and considered sinners in the Bible. Don't you think today he would like that conception? Low taxes knitted in the womb. The things that lessen abortion all over the world are access to good education, good health care, free child care. Thou shalt not kill. Border knitted. You're starting to get your politics and your religion confused there. Womb conservative shall not. You haven't heard a word I've said, have you? Knew you, patriot, knitted. Trump, QAnon, baby. <laughs> oh, it's such, it's such a, the conversations I have with, and you see some of the commenters in the string here, like there's no reason, like you cannot, you, you know, no matter how many times you point out, no, there, there's not a single verse that supports your belief. Trump, QAnon, baby, border, Texas. You know, I mean, it's just, it, it, I, it's, it's funny, but it's really sad. The deception, the indoctrination that it's, that has taken place to get people here is truly unimaginable. And the reason we're talking about it, I don't know why somebody's saying, let's talk about different topics. 
this is the topic that matters to people right now. Um, and the fact that the large proportion of Americans support reproductive rights for women in our country and, and Republican Christians don't give a shit what people care about. They just want to impose Christian law on the nation. No, no different than the Taliban wanting to impose Muslim law on a nation. Um, and somebody's, oh, that's not a fair comparison. Trust me, I have friends, um, former friends now, I guess I would say, who very much are writing prophetic words of how there are going to be gallows in the streets of Washington, D.C., hanging pedophile. I, I mean, it's it's crazy stuff. And we're going that direction. And so this is why, but why do you get so political, Pastor Paul? Because this is the stuff that destroys the souls of human being. And it is the opposite. It is the opposite of the story of Jesus. Jesus said he came to set people free from religious bondage. He stood against religious guys who wanted to use politics to make Israel great again and put their religion in charge of the country. It's, it's the opposite of who Jesus was. You are, you are anti-Christ in your stance. And Antichrist isn't a guy coming someday. Antichrist is a mindset, spirit, principality that exists on earth today and exists very much in our churches. So I'll, I'll listen to your, I'll take your questions now, guys, if you want to send them. Hi, Deacon on YouTube. He says it's true. I'll take your questions. I just wanted to hit that and say, guys, um, this is bad. This is bad that, that Christians believe our job for God is to impose Christian law into the civil code has been the destruction of culture throughout history. It's happened again and again and again. And how can we not see? Because Jesus said, if you partner your religion with politics and ideology, you will be blinded by that hypocrisy. The hypocrisy will take away your eyes to see and your ears to hear. And we're told later in the New Testament, do not associate with people that are suffering from that blindness and those blocked ears. So it's, it's, it's a really important subject that, that we hit it right now. So Andrea asks thoughts on polyamory. So I think Christians are uber focused on sex in a way that the Bible isn't. Uh, like Christians are terrified of sex and sexuality. We're, we're actually terrified of humanness. And we are in bondage to a belief system that was written by an ancient group of people who were trying to protect their lineage and heritage. And so they made a lot of laws about monogamy and, uh, and, and even against homosexuality because they were trying to perpetuate their race and their family lines. So their family lineage was very important. So you you needed to get married to somebody in the family line and not be intimate with anybody outside of that. So monogamy was very, very important in that culture. Um, and But here's my thing. I think sin is never based on a, on a set of rules. You know, I grew up with in a church that don't drink, don't chew, don't date girls that do, or else Jesus will hate you. And, but, and so that, you know, Christians say we're all about grace, not law. And what they mean is we got rid of that law and now we've imposed our own law. Don't have long hair. You know, when I was a kid, don't listen to rock music. Don't go to pool halls. Don't drink a beer. You know, you're going to hell. Jesus will come back at this moment. You'll go to hell. 
But I think sin, what Jesus was talking about as sin was violation of relationship and putting a bondage oppression of religion onto people. And so polyamory is a sin if it's violating relationship. Sorry. You know what? I'm going to have to plug in my battery here on TikTok. I hope you guys can still hear me if I take my mic out there. Um, tell me if it's a problem. But I think the battery running out is going to be a worse problem. So, so polyamory is a sin if you're cheating on somebody you have an intimate relationship with and they expect it to be monogamous. But I believe that if you if you very clear-eyed have a discussion, what does our relationship look like, and and are very clear and very honest with one another, um, I I don't think God holds it against you, and I and I very much don't think God. And when I say God, I don't think of the God of the Old Testament of the Bible or any of those things, the man with a beard and, and two eyes and a nose. I'm I'm talking about the spirit of goodness of heaven that can look like anything. God is bigger than a being with two eyes, two ears and a nose and a beard sitting on a throne. But I think sort of the spirit of heaven is not going to hold it against you if you're looking for intimacy in a way that doesn't fit the evangelical or Catholic Christian code or Mormon. Um, but I do think it is a sin, a sin if you violate relationship, if you're in a promised monogamous relationship and you violate that with having intimacy with somebody else. And intimacy doesn't just mean sex. It can mean an intimate relationship that is that is very bonding. Um, and if you do that without um, being honest with that other person, I do believe that is sinning against that relationship. And, 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 and so not to bring shame on anybody for that. Sometimes we're just in a place where we're like, I can't, I can't be clean and honest about this right now, but you, you just got to be clean and honest to yourself. Why, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? Is it coming from my best? Is it not? And I think when we start doing those things, we're going to live well together in whatever our sexuality looks like. The Bible has stories of polygamous, you know, bigamist men, of of you know, a daughter-in-law tricking her her father-in-law into knocking her up, and she gets revered for doing that. She ends up in the lineage of Jesus for doing that. So the way the Bible looks at sex is very different than the very Puritan evangelical, you know, purity culture view, which I think is so destructive and damaging and leading to so much abuse and, and SA and all of those things. I think when we are very clear eyed and honest, like, Hey, I'm, I'm probably not going to be a monogamous person, but I do want to be in an intimate relationship with you. Then we're being really honest to who we are and honest in that relationship. And, and I think heaven's going to honor that. Huff Punkin says, I feel like people are more afraid of being judged from God than, than what's right or wrong. Well, I think, uh, you know, what anti-abortion extremism is, is, you know, supporting a fetus cost me nothing. It costs me nothing. And it makes me feel very self-righteous, politically powerful. <clears throat> I love it because it, I don't have to do anything. There's no self-sacrifice to be an anti-abortion extremist. I just scream a lot and feel self-righteous. Um, but so it's it's not about right or wrong at all. It's about a feeling of self-righteousness. Some people are very sincere that they've been deceived to believe this is murder. And I can respect that. But I, I also can tell you, I believe you're sincerely wrong. And I think the outgrowth of that belief has bad fruit. And I think the Bible tells us to judge the fruit. Jesus said, 
if a fig tree doesn't bear fruit, you cut it up at, at its roots and you throw it into the fire. And I think the anti-abortion extremist view of the church has borne nothing but bad fruit. It has chased the next two generations away from the church. The fruit is bad and it's time for that movement to be cut off at the roots and thrown into the fire. And actually what I think we're seeing in action now is that anti-abortion extremism is going too far. It's going to expose itself and eventually the next two generations will get rid of it and make sure there's never a chance that uh, abortion is ever banned in America again. Uh, this is the right-wing boomer last fight Gen Xers are involved a little bit. This is our last hurrah to try to take over the country and become a minority party that rules the world. And we're going to use abortion to manipulate Christian voters. It's a very, very, very evil antichrist practice. I, I don't, I, I know some of you are sincere, but the fruit of it is so bad that you need to wake up to the truth that the fruit of what you're doing is not good. It's not saving a single baby, I believe. Uh, banning abortion has never saved babies in anywhere that abortion's been banned all over the world. It's just destroyed people. Banning alcohol in America didn't stop people from drinking. It just created a whole new genre of evil. And that's what's going to happen in states like Oklahoma and Texas and Florida that think they're self-righteous. Woohoo! Look at how great we are. Going to ban abortion and 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 mistreat young, young pregnant women. And God's going to be so proud of us. And it's just going to create a whole new line of back alley things that destroy people in poverty won't change the life a lot of of wealthy white people they'll still get their abortions we we know that we i mean south korea the great christian nation of south korea proved that banning abortion never stops a wealthy person from getting an abortion rich christian people will always get abortions for their daughters um uh rich uh republican legislators will always be able to get abortions for their mistresses. It, it's It's been proven throughout history. So this is not about saving babies. This is this is a political battle and it is, it is destructive to the message of Jesus Christ, period. The fruit is bad, Christians, just flat bad. Jesus would not be in favor of abortion. So this is a statement that is a fallacy and misses the whole point. Like I just did a video that I put, put up today. Nobody is pro-abortion. That is that is a, a, a lie that anti-abortion extremists use to try to make a point. Nobody's in favor of abortion. Nobody sell, maybe a tiny, tiny, tiny fraction of people like, yay, we had an abortion today. What we are against is, is putting a woman through hell with an unwanted pregnancy. I don't believe the state, because of Christian values, has the right to impose a Christian belief system onto people and, and force a, a young woman to go through with an unwanted pregnancy. So the cross 1978, uh, I think Jesus would absolutely be pro-woman. Uh, I think he proved in the Bible to be pro-woman. He would sit with abortive women. He would protect them as they ran through the gauntlet of you assholes that stand out behind, in front of abortion clinics and do horrible things to women. Jesus would protect that woman. He would sit with her. He would hold her hand and he would sit with her when she cried afterward. If you say Jesus would not be in favor of abortion, you are so 100% wrong about who Jesus is. You, you do not know Jesus. You do not know God and you do not know the Bible. 
liable if you make that statement. You are deceived to believe that a political position is a moral one and you're wrong. You're so wrong. And the fruit of your battle is not only not good, it's terrible. The fruit of my battle is not good. I call people baby murderers. Jesus said, you've heard it say don't murder. But I say, if you call your brother Raka a fool, if you call your brother a name out of the malice of your heart, you're the one worthy of hellfire. I say today, if you make that statement, Jesus would not be in favor of abortion. Jesus would say to you, you're the one worthy of hellfire. And I, I, I'm sorry to do that. And I say that with respect because I know you're sincere in your belief, but you need to look in the mirror. You need to look at the truth of what is the fruit of my work. It's bad. It's bad fruit. Evangelicals, you're, the fruit of your work is bad fruit. Stop blaming other people. Look in the mirror. Stop making yourself self-righteous by saying, I'm Republican anti-abortion, because you're really, what you are is really selfish, selfishly looking for righteousness. You're looking for, for uh, lower taxes, which you're not getting from the party anyway. It's a really selfish, self-centered belief system, and it doesn't bear good fruit. Texas governor also wants to challenge the court about educating all children. Yeah, because they do not care about human beings. Their life is not about caring for human beings. It is about what's happening with my tax money. I had somebody the other day tell me the churches handle money better than the government. Now, I, I don't disagree that the government doesn't handle money well, but to think churches handle money well, we did research. I was uh, I was on the board of a, of a church network for many years and did research on how churches spend their money. And most churches, almost universally, this is true, most churches spend about 80% of their income on staff, salaries, and building. Um, so it's all internally focused. Um, then of that other 20%, most of it goes to be spent on internal ministry, helping those inside the building. And a very, very, very tiny portion will go to like food drives or backpack drives or homeless feeds. Um, very little that actually feeds back into their local community. And then when you calculate in, they have huge buildings on huge pieces of property that now become uh, that, that where, where property tax is not allowed to be assessed. So that's money being stolen by the church away from schools, away from roads, away from public safety. The churches are an economic detriment to the communities in which they live rather than an economic buttress. And, and, and I've been sort of against this for a long time. Um, but I'm starting to say, yes, we need to really start to examine the 501c3 designation for churches if that money is not going for helping the community. And I, th I think maybe we should set a standard of at least 40%, if not 50, and that it has to be proven with P&Ls on, on a given year. And we're not saying get rid of churches. We're saying get rid of your tax-exempt status. This, I don't think this is a conspiracy theory, sky is falling thing, I'm going to say. I, I, I definitely believe they're going to be coming after gay marriage. And, and they do they do it this way, like that should be a state's rights issue, which is exactly what the South said about the Civil War. It's not about it's not us wanting to enslave uh, a black people. It's it's about states rights. It's, it's not that we hate gay people. It's about states' rights. It's not that it's not that we want to demonize young young pregnant women. It's that we want states' rights. It's such 
such bullshit. And the churches seize on fear and shame. Jewish people have told me that they are in favor of abortion. Jesus was Jewish. Most Jewish people are pro-choice because their religious system, the one on which Christianity is based, the supposedly the foundation of Christianity, does not believe a fetus has a soul. It is not a soulish being. And so they do not consider um, abortion to be murder. I am not sure about the state, but I believe Oklahoma is one of the worst. They have several bills in place to make sure no matter what the Supreme Court rules, they're going to have a bill in place to make make it very difficult, if not impossible, for women to have reproductive rights available in the state of Oklahoma. How can they say the Bible says abortion is not allowed and Jewish is a different view? Yeah. Rabbi on Bill Maher said when mom is at risk, abortion is required. Yeah, and and at risk, I'm told by my Jewish friends, included not being able to provide a financial quality of life for the baby. So mother at risk included um, the mother not being able to financially care for the baby or the family not being able to financially care for the baby. What was the purpose of Jesus dying on the cross? So first off, I believe Jesus died on the cross because every Jewish person of that season who preached and built a following was eventually executed by the Roman Empire. That's what they did. They did not want to see rebellion come up in Palestine. And so they were consistently executing anybody who had a big following. So that's why I believe Jesus was saying, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to die because I'm in the hub of the government. They're going to see these people following me and I'm going to die. And the purpose of it was not so God could beat the hell out of Jesus to, to pay for our sins. That already happened in the covenant of Abraham. The Israelites chose something different at Sinai, but the covenant between heaven and humanity was already there to say the law code is gone. That's why um, that's why in the book of Romans, it, it, it says uh, that, that uh, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. That's why it says four times, it says that four times through the Bible. Um, and so, but also Jesus willingly, it says, went to the cross as, as a sacrifice for sin, showing what selfless life, can, life uh, what life can look like when we live selflessly in relationship with one another. It was not this jealous, angry God needed to be beat the shit out of somebody to make himself happy and then say, okay, all right, I guess you can come into heaven now because Jesus said it's okay, you stupid shits. No, no, that's that's not the spirit of heaven at all. It's a very bad, actually heretical belief system. Um, Jesus came to point us to relationship with heaven so we could make it on earth as it is in heaven. He didn't come to say you're terrible people, but good luck because I'm going to get the shit beat out of me by the father. And then if you're not gay, you're going to be okay. I mean, it's such a ludicrous, ludicrous belief system. Were you previously legalistic and self-righteous? Curious about what created a shift. I, I absolutely was legalistic and self-righteous, even though I didn't believe I was, I was. Uh, like many evangelicals today are legalistic and self-righteous and claim very much beyond like those guys. Um, the shift came about because A, I started seeing 
really during the Bush administration, the GW Bush administration, how how negative the impact of this intertwining of religion and politics was, how much it, it, it was impacting our ability to share the story of Jesus. And then I just saw the pure abject hatred for President Obama come from Christians. And I began to say, wow, there's something ugly here. Meanwhile, I also had gone to seminary, learned about the Bible, how the Bible was put together, learned that what I had been taught about the Bible as a youth was almost completely a lie about its inerrancy, about how the canon was put together. And so I began to think like, well, what else is a lie? And But then I kind of put that away because like, well, we, we may not know our beliefs very well, but we're so good, it's worth it. And, and then when I began to see like during the Obama administration and through our politics, through our anti-abortion hatred of people, uh, we weren't good, that we actually were really dark hearted. And then of course, here comes Trump and it's like, oh, we are an irredeemable people. Um, that's when I, you know, all of a sudden when we're not good anymore, then our dissonance comes into play. And so when I'm like, Hey, our hearts aren't good. Let me re-examine, um, the, the just ridiculousness of our belief of the inerrancy of scripture. Um, it became really easy for me to step away from it all. So be careful with your finger pointing. Um, Jesus pointed his fingers at religious people. Do you, do you not follow Jesus of the Bible? You, when, when Jesus called people whitewashed tombs, cups dirty on the inside, clean on the outside, he was finger pointing. The lawyers came to him and said, Jesus, when you say bad things about those guys, you're insulting us too. And then he said, yeah, you think so? And then for the next eight verses, he told them how, what big pieces of shit he thought they were. Um, Jesus pointed fingers at religious people a lot and said, you're the problem. It's the woman caught in adultery story. He was saying, you guys are the problem, not her. Jesus came to save the sick and affected, not the righteous. He came to stand with the marginalized against those that would be their oppressors. He came to stand with the poor, the marginalized, the foreigner, the foreigner, the foreigner, and the widow. Sad now, most Christians are hating marginalized people. I prefer to be a reflection of the love of Jesus. I think that was his point in coming and teaching. I think it was, but he stood violently, violently against people that would marginalize others. He, he threw over tables. What are you talking about? He, he said that temple is going to be completely destroyed. Not one stone will stand on another. And he didn't say, pray that that doesn't happen. No, he was like, no, your religious system is going to be completely destroyed. And I'm not, cons I, I'm, I'm happy about that. I, I, I think we've got to be careful of making Jesus this, uh, you know, walking around with the halo all the time, white guy. Uh, no, he was like, you come after the Samaritan woman, I'm coming after you. You come after this woman caught in adultery, I'm going to start to question your motives and why, why you're not bringing the man forward and which one of you is it. Boy, that's the thing I really got people going this week on is my video where I, I did a, a modern day parable of the woman caught in adultery. Oh my God, you should hear the go and sin no more crowd who, who don't care a shit about that story or about people. They just love the go and sin no more part of it. They were losing their shit on that video. It took seriously me stepping away from the church to see a lot. Yep, it's for sure. 
He came as a lamb and will return as a lion. You're you're talking about the guy who flipped over tables in the temple and, and, and then stopped, put ropes together and started hitting people with it. That, that guy was a lamb. That guy, that guy who looked at the, the religious power brokers, the status quo keepers of the community and said, you know who your father is? Your father is Satan. That guy, the guy that, they said, hey, your mom and brothers are here to get you. And he said, you know what? That's not my mom. The Virgin Mary is not my mom. My Virgin Mary's not my family. The people who believe me here are my family. That guy was a lamb? Come on. Yeah, I really can't use the word Christian anymore. It's just such a dirty word in our culture. Guys, let me just ask, and I know this gets tough for people. If you love what I do and you can, Go help me financially on my website, pastor-paul.com. You can click on the Support Pastor Paul link. $5.99 a month gets you access to my website and some cool stuff. You can do more if you can. If you can't afford it, don't. I'm still going to do all this free content I do all the time. But if you're able to and can help, just trying to figure out what the financial model is to be able to live doing this. And I was doing, I, I do coaching, but it's getting hard for people to afford that level that I need to get to be able to to live and take care of my kids and do the things I need to do as a as a family man. So if you can go to the website, click on support Pastor Paul. It's, the website is pastor-paul.com, and and you can just sign up for my newsletter there for free. By the way, to get on, uh, you know, just get the updates on what's happening. But if you can give as little as five dollars and ninety nine cents a month, it'll help a lot. You can give anywhere from five ninety nine to a hundred dollars a month. And it'll just help me keep doing this stuff.